right, well, good morning. Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. Uh, glad to have you online, too, if you decide to stay home. We know there was some weather uh, this morning, and so I'm sure many of you decided to stay home, but the coast is clear. We are good. You can still come and join us, but thank you for joining us uh, right where you are, and thank you for being here, too. All right, I want to invite you to, uh, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and you can put a placeholder in there. And then also to Numbers chapter 10. And if you're at home, grab your Bible. And um, if you prefer your electronic Bible, then you can do that. So Deuteronomy chapter 29 and then Numbers 10. And so uh, I titled the message today, Don't Forget the Shoes. If you're a parent, you have said that to your children if they're old enough. Don't forget your shoes. Don't forget the shoes. So to begin... Um, I want to put some shoes on the screen, and I'm going to see, so this is kind of maybe uh, a way we can participate together, and if you're online, uh, you can type in, oh yeah, or oh yeah, I remember those, or you can uh, participate as well. So if you want to do this, you can raise your hand, or you can cheer, if you really want to cheer, you can go crazy when I put these shoes up on the screen, and um, I think it's going to take some of you back. We're going to go back here for a little bit with some shoes. All right, so here's, the, here's, a, here's a, do you remember these shoes? Okay, do you remember these by raising hand or cheering? Go the first, do you have the shoes? For, do you remember these? I had these. These are the 1987 Nike Air Trainers. Does anybody else remember these? There's only two of us in this room. There's so many of you that, man, that, I mean, they were awesome. Do you remember these? Do you know who had these shoes? Do you remember... Andre Agassi. Do you remember him? Yes. Andre with the bandana, the tennis player. All right. Maybe, obviously, none of you are the Nike Air Trainer 1987 people. All right. All right. How about these? The 1965 Adidas Superstars. How about that? 1965. And what's incredible is so many young people today are like, oh, look at my new shoes. You're like, dude, those are so old, actually. 1965. All right. But classics, man. It's a good shoe. Yeah, for sure. All right. How about this one? The 1973 Puma Suede. Do we have Puma Suede's? Oh, yeah. You don't like the Puma Suede? Something wrong with the Puma Suede? Anyway? No, oh, just, no, not a fan of Puma. Who's a fan of Pumas? Like, just classic. Okay, little side note. In high school, I made this statement. I confess, and I said, I'll never, like, I would look for, I should say I'd never. What I would say is, I would always look for the girl who was wearing Pumas. Because I always figured if she wore Pumas, she wasn't high maintenance. Yeah, that was just my theory in San Diego, California. That was the theory I had. Anyways. All right, here about the 1950. How about these? Ben, if you're a soccer player, you know these, the Adidas Samba. Do we have that one in? Oh, yeah. Sambas, man. Just classic. Still looking good. How about, now this is one of my personal favorites, and I think we'll end it here. How about the 1989 Reebok, come on, pump? Do you remember that? Do you guys remember the Reebok pumps? Who here had a set of Reebok pumps? Absolutely. So you could jump higher or whatever. The Reebok pumps. All right, I was going to put a photo of this, and um, my mom put a picture of me um, in a scrapbook. And so I was going to show it to you, but it was really hard to see because you couldn't kind of make it out because it was like kind of all cut out. But uh, I actually um, modeled one of the first pair of Reebok pumps, true story, for um, Sears, 
uh, as a kid, I, they put me on this little, you know, stage in the mall and whatever, and I have this Bart Simpson outfit on. It's hideous. So maybe I'll, I'll share that sometime. Um, but I should. Uh, but I had this exact pair, actually, and Reebok pumps. All right, so I can only assume that when you saw some of these shoes, I'm sorry if I didn't put your shoes up. Please don't be offended if you're like, where are my Chuck Taylors, you know, or whatever you, any Chuck Taylor people, the Converse, you know, yeah. Look at that. Candies, okay. Um, and so I'm sure there's all kinds of shoes you get there. I mean, Air Jordans, you're like, where are the Jordans at? And Air Force Ones get to stomping in, okay? And I don't know. But I'm sure you have your, your but here's the thing. Uh, whenever you see these shoes, it, it starts to bring back some memories or something, you know, for, for, for many of us. And so I can only assume that happened for some of you when you started to think back, maybe about some of these shoes. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, Moses is going to remind the Israelites of a pair of shoes. And there's so much teaching in this that he does, and he uses a pair of shoes to reveal a very important faith lesson about faith in God and their relationship with God. And so uh, I want to talk to you about that lesson. I want to give you a faith lesson today that hopefully you can take and apply to your life and your relationship with God. But before I do that, I want to set some context before Moses gives the lesson through a pair of shoes. Incredible. All right. So at the time, the book of Numbers, we're going to start in Numbers and then we'll get into Deuteronomy. Uh, the Numbers begins, the nation of Israel was camped at the mountain Sinai. Okay, so where they get the Ten Commandments and they are uh, come out of um, Egypt and they're at this mountain for about a year, 14 months or so. And this is where they are camped. And the Lord then calls them to uh, the next place as they go pursue the promised land. And so they're packing up all their stuff and they start to go towards their promised land. They're kind of moving on now after about a year. That's where they are in Numbers 10, verse 11. In the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. The cloud is the symbolic of God's presence. So God's presence begins to move and they begin to follow. So the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai and traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped. So they didn't stop until the presence of God stopped and wherever the presence of God was, that's where they would go. And he stops in the wilderness from, I'll show a map to you and it kind of gives you some context. Do we have the map available? There we go. It's maybe hard for you to see if you're watching online. I don't know if you can see it well. So uh, instead of me getting up, and I don't have any way of pointing this, but if you see the, the top left corner black dot with the number one on it, that's where they began. So I made it real easy by choosing this map for you. And they begin uh, after 400 years or so of slavery. And they have nothing. They have no military strength. They have no leadership from the context of like devising military power plan. They have no armor and resources, but God is going to take them from number one, and he's trying to get them to across the land to Canaan, 
which if you actually follow the northern coast, if you see it says the Great Sea, if you were to actually go across that coast and go right into the land of Canaan, you can see it there. Um, doesn't have a number next to it, but that's where they're trying to get to, ultimately. And we know through some disobedient stuff, they end up going the opposite direction. So they go down, if you would, to where I think it says number eight at the very bottom, the very black dot towards the south. That's where Mount Sinai is, the region, the desert. That's where they get the Ten Commandments from. And they've been there now for about 14 months. And God says, all right, it's time for you to go to the next place. So they start to pursue north. They follow up, if you would, it says the Red Sea. If you notice, they follow up the Red Sea, the coast of that. And then it goes to number, I think it's number 11. They kind of pause there for a little bit. They go from place to place. That's what Numbers 10 tells us. And then somewhere in this journey, they decide to spend, send two, 12 spies um, to go explore the land of Canaan before they take it. You should see a city up there called Kadesh. If you see a city called Kadesh, it might say Kadesh Bernia, right there at number 11. This is where they're hanging out at, and they're pursuing this promised land. Now, remember, they're about 14 months into the journey, and they're excited to go take this land. And it actually borders Canaan, so they're on the border of taking their land. They're really close. And so they say, let's ten, send 12 guys. Let's go explore the land. Only problem was, out of the 12 guys, 10 guys come back and say, we can't do it. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, says, yes, we can. And then this big debate starts. You could go read about it in Numbers 13 if you want to. You could write that down in your notes. We have notes for you, I think, hopefully. Or you came in, grab notes if we don't. Take the note. Numbers 13. If you go read through Numbers 13, you'll see this debate, and this conversation between Numbers 12, 13, and 14. You'll read all about this debate. But these 10 guys become afraid of the land. And they say their military power is too strong. The enemy is too strong. We're not strong enough. We're not able to do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can, we can do it. If God is with us, we'll take it. He's promised it to us. We can do it. And this debate comes out. And these 10 guys, the majority, end up convincing the majority that they cannot take the land. Even though God had said to do it, they convince um, the nation that it cannot be done. And so ultimately the people begin to complain and ask God, why would you bring us out here to die? If you listen to the wrong people, you could be led the wrong way. Have you noticed that in life? You ever listened to the wrong person and you got led the wrong way? And so the whole nation is under this convincing from 10 people's opinion, which their view was completely wrong in the first place. And they just followed these 10 men and said, yeah, we can't. And maybe very little followed Joshua and Caleb, but seems to be only Joshua and Caleb stood alone because actually the whole community voted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And they were planning on how they could 
stoned them to death for believing what God had spoken. That requires stoning. So the nation decides, God, you've left us out here to hang and dry. You're not even going to help us here. And then they make these statements about they would be better off in Egypt. They actually ask, in a way, God, remove us from here and take us back to where we were slaves. We were better off as slaves than we are out here in the desert. And so the story goes where they complain and they desire to go back into slavery without, you know, without him. And so God responds to their requests. And God's response to their decision to not enter the land that he promised them. Now I want to pause. I want you to hear this so you can say, okay, how does this apply to me? I want you to think about your life. Okay? Your life and how God has a promised something for your life. For everyone who believes in him, he's promised eternal life. That's a promise. He's promised to meet your need. Maybe you have a specific promise that he's told you. You know, that I don't know what that promise could be. Maybe you haven't listened long enough to even receive a specific promise, but there's a generic, general promise, not generic, but general promise that he loves you and cares for you and he has a life for you. So let's just say it's God's life for you. So we're all on the same page. God has a life that he's carved out for you. Every woman, every child, every man. And this is the life that he has, and this is a promised land. It's a life that he has for you, and that is your promised land. Because ultimately, this wasn't about geography. Remember in part one of the series. He wasn't trying to give a nation land just for land. He was ultimately trying to teach them who he was, and then through them, they would reveal who he was to the world. So it was a life that he had for this nation and for these people in the nation. Just like he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And this nation allowed 10 men to influence their decision to say no to the life that God chose for them and had for them. They said no. So let's participate and let's join the journey from that angle. God has a plan for your life and let's go ahead and get there that you and I have said no. No. I want my plan and I want what I want. And I don't want what you want. I want what I want. So I'm saying no to your plan, and I'm going to take my plan. All right. That's where the nation is. And then God responds to them with this. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Disbelief. How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have performed among them. The Hebrew word for believe here is amen. A-M-A-N. Not to be confused with amen. It's a different Hebrew word. But this Hebrew word means to trust. 
How long will these people refuse to trust in me? You should circle the word in there in your Bible. In or underline it, mark it, right? In me. They don't trust in me. They don't trust my words. I tell them and they don't trust me. As a parent, you know this feeling. You ever told your child to do something or you were told as a, a child and your parent told you and your parents said, trust me. And it frustrated you. It didn't just make you angry. It frustrated you when they don't believe you. And you want to look at them and say, you're so not smart because I'm smarter than you and I'm 30 or 25 or 40 or I've been around and you, you don't believe me. I, I know some of you young people are like, oh yeah, well it happened today actually, that was funny. Um, God is broken over their disbelief and their lack of trust. In spite of the fact I've shown you the sun. And I mean, you have the moon and stars and mountains and rivers and oceans. I mean, I've done so much. And how I formed you. And, and all of this. And yet you still don't trust me. They simply refused to trust him. It was a decision they made, a choice to not trust him. So why did this bother God so much? Why does he want our trust just so much? If they didn't trust him, then they can't obey him. Because trust precedes obedience. Obedience is what happens when you trust. Obedience is out of trust. Somebody tells you to do something, and you trust whatever they're telling you to do is the right thing to do, and so you do it, and you do it in obedience. So you obey because you trust. A doctor tells you to do something, and you trust it, and then you obey it without ever looking at the label. Yeah. You trust a food product. You do this all the time. And you trust if it's packaged nightly and marketed, branded well, it's got to be healthy. It says natural. And you never turned around and read the 97 ingredients that you can't say and don't seem natural. But you trust it. And in a way you obey and you do what it tells you to do and you consume it. And yet... God speaks, and you don't trust it. It's quite incredible. And this is his, maybe, holy frustration. Simply put, their lack of trust led to their lack of obedience. And here's a key truth. You can write this down. Our obedience to God reveals our trust in God. If you're not obeying him, it's because you don't trust him. When you don't obey, it's a sign of distrust. So the next time you don't do what he tells you to do, just say, you know what, God? I actually don't trust you. And then he looks at you and says, what do you want me to do to trust you? And here's the greatest part. You could tell him what to do to get him to trust you, and then he could do it, and then you still wouldn't trust him. You remember the time when you pray and you asked God to do something for you and he did it? 
got you out of that scenario, got you home. When You don't remember how you got home, but he got you home. Remember when he bailed you out of that scenario, that situation? Remember when you prayed that one prayer and you asked for that one thing, and you asked for that spouse, you asked for that child, and it happened? And then you just chose not to trust him the next day. This is where the Israelites are. Actually, at this point in time, they'd seen some incredible miracles. They saw water come from a rock. And it fed two, drank, you know, fed, but it, two million people. At this time, there's around two million Israelites. And they got enough water out of a rock to drink from. It's incredible. Miracle. They had just crossed the Red Sea about a year earlier. Where they walked across dry land. Two million people. Took them about six hours. They go across this river. And then they turn around. They see the enemy coming. And the walls of the water are standing up. Then the river comes to flood again. And it kills the enemy. And a year later... They don't trust him that they can take the land and do what he said to do. So I know you're craving a miracle and then you trust God, but God already knows if I give you the miracle, you still won't trust me. And he asks, how long am I going to have to put up with this? To which every person in this room and watching online would say, well, I guess pretty much forever, I guess. Because there's still many of us today living 2,000 years plus later battling the same things that these people battled, trusting in God. Just as a reminder, it's on your, it's on your money. In case you didn't know that. So because of this, they're sent back. Now watch. They're sent back and they're removed from the life that God had for them based off of their choice to not trust God. And as a consequence of it, they're now going to wander in a desert for 40 years. We like to say, well, they're just disobedient. They deserve what they get. I hear a human say that all the time. And I don't like to say you and this, but I know it's every single one of you. You ever said, well, she got what she deserved. I heard it statements of the day. Well, they got what they deserved. I was like, what about what you deserve? I got a whole list. Anyways, all right. The author of Hebrew writes this, by the way, Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe. There it is. Circle that believe word. That He exists, but not just that He. Be- this is so important. Look at the next line of the author of Hebrews. It says you got to believe He exists. Yeah, yeah. Believe in His existence. I know, but Satan believes that too. So we got to go a step further here. He rewards. Those who seek him. He gives you the life that he has for you when you seek him. When you pursue his promises. When you pursue him, he rewards that. But when you don't pursue him, he cannot reward you. You are literally walking away from the life that he has for you. And then you complain about it. The life you have. You complain about the life you have when you're living the life 
that you want, not the life that God wants. But God is saying, if you just live the life that I want for you, you'll never have a reason to complain. Or at least you shouldn't. You will, but you shouldn't. Because it's the life that I have for you. Incredible. Put the map back up for just a minute, if you would. The total straight line from the distance of number one all the way up there, I think it's the number 18 or so, right there in Canaan, up in that general area where Canaan is. Do you see Canaan, church, family watching? Hopefully you're watching online. Just say yes. Okay. So the distance, if you were to take a flight from one to Canaan, so we're going to call it Egypt to Canaan, is around 645 miles, direct flight. From the land of Mount Sinai, right at the bottom, number eight, if you were to walk and travel from there to Canaan, it should take you about 11 days to get to the promised land, right on the border of Kadesh. So that's also listed in scripture. That it takes 11 days to get from Mount Sinai, where they are down at the bottom, it took him 11 days to get to Kadesh, which is around the border of Canaan. 11 days. What should have taken 11 days took them 40 years. I think in our culture, we're obsessed with stepping. Anybody have one of these watches that counts your steps? Would you just raise your hand if you love to count your steps? Raise your hand high if you love to count your steps. Raise your hands high so I can see you. Don't just be ashamed of it. Be proud. You love to count your steps. Anybody else? Does anybody know anybody who loves to count their steps? We're obsessed with counting steps in our culture. Maybe you're not anymore, but you were once, once you're know, like, oh, yeah, I counted 4,000 steps today or whatever. So people set goals. I think our culture is obsessed with counting steps. So I figured let's count their steps. Okay, so 10,000 steps, by the way. Oh, by the way, the distance that they traveled from one all the way down towards the bottom, then up. And if you see they got to Kadesh, and look what it did. They had to make a big U-turn. They come back down to where number eight is, if you would, then they kind of go back up. And you see back around now the western part of the land. And then eventually you make their way over into the promised land that way. And that whole trip took about 39 plus more years of traveling, walking by feet. So the travel that they walked somewhere is in the realm of 5,000 miles. I read a lot on this stuff and I don't know the exact mileage, but we're going to use the figure 5,000. We know that's at least, at minimum, 5,000 miles. When they should have traveled and they could have traveled 646 miles. That's a lot of different steps. Let's do the math. All right, so 10,000 steps is five miles. I did the math for you already. So I think I did this right. If I take 645 miles and I divide that by the five miles, I'm trying to find out 10,000 steps. I did 10,000, that's 1.2 million steps. Now, if you do the same distance, five miles, am I doing this right? I hope I am. 5,000 miles divided by the 5,000, 1,000 times the 10,000, about 10 million steps. Here's what I know whether I did the math right or wrong. They took a lot more steps. Is that fair to say? So we're going to use 1 million steps to 10 million steps. That's a lot more steps to get there. What if it was a math problem? You could have taken a million steps to figure out the answer and say you had to take 10 million. Man, all the steps. I always want to say math problems because I hated doing all the steps. I always want to look in the back of the book, the odd answers, you know, in the back of the book. That was me. It's a lot of extra steps. 
their lack of trust required them to take an additional 9 million steps. What if that was, what if that was obstacles? They could have only had to come across 1 million obstacles, but now because of their refusal to trust God, they were going to have to travel through 9 million obstacles. What if it was debt? They could have been in $646 in debt, but because their refusal to trust God, they were in over $10 million in debt. See what I'm saying to all this? Just think about for a minute, take your life and think about how our refusal to trust in God and who He is and what He's done and what He says, the next time you decide to not trust what He is saying and who He is and what He does, just consider the consequence of it and then don't complain about it when it occurs. And that's not a beat up. I think that's the cry of His heart. That's why He says, how long are you going to do this to me? I'm actually trying to serve you. I'm actually trying to prevent you from going into the debt. I'm trying to stop that thing from happening. I'm trying to not have you have to walk 10 million steps. If you would just do what I'm telling you to do. But you don't. And so you wander for 40 years. What if it was years in your life somehow? What if this wasn't steps and it was years in your life? How he has a plan for your life and he tried to reveal it to you at 19, but you said no and you're 47, still trying to find purpose in your life. And you've been wondering since 19 to 47. Because at 19, you decided to make a U-turn and decide I'm not going to trust you. It could be you were 25, you decided not to trust him, and now you're 35, still wondering. And you've wondered for the past 10 years, trying to get into the land that God has promised for you and the life that he has for you, but you continue day by day, day by day by day by day to say, no, I don't want what you want for me. I want what I want for me. And this is the story of your history in humanity. It's my history. This is what happens with the Israelites over and over and over and over again. And I think that God put it into this book as a lesson for you and for me. And hopefully we take the lesson and we don't have to go through what they went through. We get to learn a lesson. The brother of Jesus would say, obey God's word. Do God's word. I read something recently, came across it, and stuck with me ever since. One act of obedience is better than a thousand sermons listened to. Stop listening to so many sermons. And I love you for watching and listening to sermons. But you sometimes, church, church family, I'm talking to the body of Christ, you're so, so into listening to so many sermons, but you don't do anything anyone says. 
You just listen to lots of information and then you tweet it as if you've done it. You tweet it before you do it or you Instagram it or you post it or you amen it. You know, I don't think God really cares about how many amens you give in church. I think he'd rather you just do whatever was said to do. Does that make sense? I think so. In the body of Christ, it does. God wants our obedience. Okay. Deuteronomy 29, here it is. Moses is at the end of his life. He's traveled these 40 years. Two million people have died. The whole nation has died off because they're not allowed to enter the promised land because they refuse to trust God. And so now they receive the consequence. Life without, like, they missed it. And he had to wait for two million people to die off and a new generation to rise up. He's done two million funerals plus. And that was because they chose. And God was up there saying, please, trust me. But they refused. They die off. New generation is coming up. Moses is towards the end of his life. He's about 120 years of age. He's about to die. Joshua is about to take over. And Moses talks to this new generation who've been raised in this desert, who've seen many miracles in the desert, many of God's provisions in the desert. And here's what Moses says to this nation. And now they're about to enter the promised land, and Moses makes this statement. And he says, learn this lesson that we have learned. So when the new generation rises up, they wouldn't have to go through another 40 years of wandering. Because now they're on the edge too. Now they're on their Kadesh. They're at about to cross the Jordan. They're about to go in to Jericho. They're standing now back at the border of entering the promised land where Moses was with the Israelites 40 years prior. Now they're there 40 years later. And he says, please learn the lesson we've learned. So he summons all the people. And he tells the nation. Here's what he says. Your eyes have seen all the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh. To all of his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials. Certainly there was children there too. Had heard about it from mom and dad. And what happened when they crossed that river. The signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind. That understands our eyes. That sees our ears. That hear. In other words. You still don't trust him though. And I'm trying to tell you something so you can trust him in the future. Verse 5. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, I led you through the wilderness, I was still with you even when you left me. I still went with you. And I led you all through the wilderness. Your clothes... Did not wear out. Now, I want you to pause, and you already see where I'm going, but I want you to pause and say, okay, that doesn't seem too hard. Some of you had a, a, how many of you saw the same shirt from high school? You know, you're holding on to that. And you're like, one day I'll fit in those jeans again, I promise, you know. (laughs) Ladies, do you do that or something? You know, whatever. Okay. So the, the clothes wearing out doesn't, it's like, that's pretty cool. Unless you were like an infant, and then that becomes kind of interesting, doesn't it? Well, when I, 40 years ago, I was one, if I'm, I'm 42, so if I'm, I was two, 
and I got the same shirt on that I had when I was two. Huh? Did we read that right? Now look at the next line, he says. Maybe it's possible for the shirt to like expand with me. I don't know. Maybe that's possible. But the next one really messes with my mind. And the sandals on your feet, the shoes on your feet. One translation says the soles of your shoes never wore out. Now, Nike, you should take notes if you're watching. That's pretty incredible. You've been walking in the desert terrain for 40 years and your shoes never wore out. What a picture he tells this nation. Whenever you doubt God, just look down at your shoes. They're still in walking condition. And I've made that happen. It was a way, I think, of God saying, every place you put your foot, I was there. Every single step of the way. All 10 million steps, I was there. And I got you through every single one of them. And we will know just in a few weeks or days, time later, he would tell Joshua, I will give you the land wherever you put your foot. Because wherever your feet go, I go. And I'll never leave you. Even when you run from me, I will never leave you. And I will help you tread the ground under your feet, regardless of what it may look like, what obstacle may come your way, what mountain you might have to climb, I will see you through it. And I want you to know that before you go and take what I have for you. Because I'm very aware there'll be days you feel like giving up and quitting and you will think it's better off back in slavery without me. But I want you to look down at your shoes and remember how they never wore out. And then I want you to think about that. And somewhere in that, I want you to consider the fact and the reality that the shoes never wore out. And just sit here right now as a human and ponder that. And what happens to most humans is you question the legitimacy. Well, that's got to be more of an illustrative point, right? Yeah, just like it was illustrative that Jesus rose from the dead three days after that he was dead. That wasn't an illustration, guys. That actually happened. And it wasn't an illustration when Jesus took a couple of pieces of bread and some fish and fed 5,000, actually 10,000 plus people. No, that's Jesus. He's an incredible God and he can make water part and he can take water from a rock and he can actually use the shoes on your feet and say, yep, those are going to grow with you. And they're never going to wear out. And so I think a two-year-old is sitting there at the age of 42 going, you know, now that I think about it, these Reebok pumps haven't worn out. That's pretty incredible. 
And I think if they had Reebok pumps, I, I would have just tested out to see if it still works. And I'm convinced by the grace of God, it still works. I think this is the point that God is trying to make to this nation. Remember, this nation was delivered from Egypt to do two things. Know God better, make him known to the world. And all God wanted them to do was trust them. That's all he wanted. I heard this quote, and it says, it took one night to take Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. How long is it going to take you to get him to trust him? Moses simply says, remember the shoes. Don't forget what God has done for you. That was the lesson. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Here's the faith lesson. God will never lead us. He will never lead this nation. He'll never lead you where his grace does not provide and his power does not protect. He will never lead you to a place that he doesn't provide for you and protect you. The lesson, he can be trusted. And yet it is our human struggle to really trust him. Comes back to fundamentals so far we've learned in the past three weeks. Prayer, obedience, and trust. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you just prayed received and were told what to do and then you actually did it and you trusted God in the process, let me tell you, your whole life will forever change. Today would change if you just actually went to listen to what God wants to say and then you did what he said to do because you trust him. This is the cycle the Israelites are in and it's the cycle many people are in today. And it's what breaks the heart of God, and it breaks my heart, and it should break every heart of every follower of Jesus when someone doesn't spend time with God, obey God, and trust God. Do you know why? Because of what they are missing out on, not what God is missing out on, but what they are missing out on. And they, too, might have to walk 10 million steps instead of one. And it breaks my heart when I see that in anyone. So my prayer and my cry is the cry of God. If his heart, and it should be the cry of yours, and inviting people to trust him and telling people how he can be trusted. That was the whole point of this nation, to go and tell people, I can be trusted. Stop having them put their Hope in false gods, which is what the nations all around Israel were doing, and tell them about me. Because they have no hope in these gods. I am God. I can be trusted. If you don't believe me, then look down and remember your shoes and how I led you all that time to hear. I'll invite our worship team up, and we're going to pray together. And um, here we are, many of us today, I think, standing on the border of our promised land. And many of you, 
I believe that God has you uh, right on the border of your Canaan, right on the border of whatever it is that God wants to do in your life. And our role is simple, to trust Him. Imagine what your life might look like if you just trusted God. Two million people didn't do this. Two million Israelites didn't choose to trust God, and because of it, they had to walk nine million more miles and travel 40 more years. And they ultimately never received all God had for them. They died before they ever received it. And then here we are, you know, about 3,000 years later from that time period, right here, many of us staying on our own Canaan lands, the marriage that you really, really want, okay, the marriage, let's say, gosh, I would love to have a marriage that like this. I, I would love to have my children operate like this. I would love for my job or me to go to work and me feel like this. And um, I would love to have a financial scenario and situation like this. And and whatever these things that, that are in our hearts that we kind of aspire for, I will, I, you know, all these things that are like your Canaan, your promised land. And I believe that many people within the body of Christ are on the borderline. They're literally standing at the border and the promised land is just a few steps over. But the unwillingness of the heart in disobedience ultimately because they don't trust what God has spoken in His Word. And God says, no, if you just trust what I'm saying, if you don't just do this thing because somebody told you to do it, in fact, don't do this because somebody told you to do it. Do it because you trust me. And don't put your trust in a man. Put your trust in me. That's what Scripture says. That's the cry of God. So go, like, read this. This is my letter to you. Read this. And then do what it says. Not because somebody else has preached it. No, because I've told you and I want you to trust me. This is the cry of God. Trust me. And if you don't, trust me. And just consider all that I've done for you already. You woke up today because of me. And you have what you have because of me. If you, if you trust me, I will meet every single need. But don't worry about how. I'll, I'll do it. I led you through the wilderness. I'll help you take this land. You don't need military strength. All you need is some trumpets. We're going to find that out too. You don't even have to lift a finger when you fight God's battles. I'll fight them. You just march towards the land. And yet in our stupidity, we say, no. I got this one, God. To which God looks back at the nation of Israel and says, oh, you do? I'll see you in 40 years. And it wrecked him, I think. And some of you today are at the age of 40 or shy of the age of 40. And God has been waiting for you to finally go into the land that he's promised you. And he's pleading with our hearts that we wouldn't finally surrender when we're 80. 
And if you're 30, 70. And if you're 20, am I doing the math right? 60. Don't wait until you're 60 if you're 20. Don't wait until you're 70 if you're 30. Don't wait until you're 80 if you're 40. Don't wait until you're 90 if you're 50. And if you're 50, don't wait until you're 100 because you probably aren't going to make it. (laughs) Maybe you will. I don't know. You'll be close at that point. Can we pray, church? I'd like the altar team down front. Oh, Father, thank you for this word and the lesson today. What a lesson it is. Jesus. Would you stand to your feet, church? We're going to be dismissed shortly. But I want to do something. Today you need prayer. (laughs) If today you just want somebody to pray with you and stand with you to say, you know, God, if you're watching online and you can let us know, go to our website, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. But if you're here, right here in this room, and you need prayer, and you want to respond to God's nudge to you today, and you just need somebody to stand with you and say, I want to take a hold of this promise. I need somebody to pray with me. Maybe I'm afraid, maybe you're fearful, but you need to step and follow him. Maybe it's the decision to follow him, and you just haven't made the decision to, like, surrender your life and follow him, and you want to do that. Maybe you have a promise for marriage. You know, you just this, I want this marriage or I want this certain family. But I, I just haven't been doing what God said. You want somebody to stand with you because you haven't been obedient in some way. Then just come. We want to pray with you. We have a prayer team down front. We'd love to pray with you today. You can come now. You don't have to wait. You can come now. And uh, just take that step into Canaan. For some of you, it's a literal step today. And I know it's, it's, it's so true, man. It's just like you're standing on the edge of the border and you're, it's like your seat. And there's about seven feet or nine feet from you and somebody down front. And it's like just a couple of steps. And God says, go. And then you just, ah, I don't know. And you're standing on the border looking at your promised land. And it's right there. And God just says, go. We just invite you to come. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. We'll give you a minute to do that now. Oh, Jesus, would you lead us to victory? We're so thankful you lead us to victory. We're so thankful that you lead us to victory. Worship team, would you sing just a little bit of that if you're able to? Come on, church, let's worship him. Thank him for the victory that's ahead of you. You take with the enemy a man free And in turn it for good Turn it for good. You take with the enemy a man free, and then turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take with the enemy a man free. And you turn it for good You turn it for good You take with the enemy and man free And you turn it for good You turn it for good Amen Father, we thank you, Lord And, um 
God, I pray for your body, your church, those here today. And that they would just trust you. Today's an invitation to trust them. there's an area in your life, I'm going to ask you to respond by lifting your hand and just a response to the Lord, not just for me, but if there's an area in your life that you need to trust Him, um, trust Him in giving, trust Him in forgiving, trust Him in how you treat your spouse, kind of do what the Word of God says and how to do it that way, and could be trusting Him to parent a certain way, trust him to when he said to like when he said to to seek me and you'll find me you want to trust that when he said to go away in your closet and seek me in private and I'll reward you openly do you trust that when he said to give to me first and I'll meet your every need do you trust that when he said to go and forgive do you trust that and there's so many ways that you might need to say I need to trust God in this area. Maybe it's just simply to trust him, to follow him. Make the decision to make him God, supreme master of your life. Would you lift your hand? You just want to make a decision to trust him in an area. And keep your hand up so I can see you. I want to pray for you. Okay. I see hands lifted, so keep your hand for just a second. That's good. Okay. There's hands all over the room. Okay. If your hand is lifted, I'm going to assume as I pray this with you, that there's something in your life right now that you want to trust God with. the invitation today is to trust him and I want you to put yourself in the picture on the border of your promise and I want you to tell God right now in fact I want you to think and I want you to hear him say and then you can respond and here's the question the Lord wants to ask you how long will you not believe me in this area of your life. So think about that. How long will you not believe me? How much longer? And then just fill in your own name if you want. How much longer? Fill in your name. As I hear him say, how much longer, Ricky, must I have to put up with your unbelief in me in this area? How much longer? Now hear the dad, hear the father, hear God speak to you. Say, will today be the day you trust me? Will you finally trust me? And if your response is, you will trust him. And you mean to go and apply that and put that into your life. You're watching online. Participate with us here. And I want you to tell him right now, I trust you. can hear your heart, the Lord says. I know your heart is speaking. Even if your lips didn't move, he heard your heart say, yeah, I trust you. And maybe the best you could say today is, I want to. I want to. Then ask the Lord, Lord, help me to trust you. Confess your weakness before him and say, help me to trust you. Confess your need for him, church. Let him know. I need your help in this area to trust you. And hear the Lord say back, then just take the first step.
one last time. Andrews, would you just lead us in a time of worship? Because I want to give you, church, a chance to respond. If you're watching online, to sing for a moment here in a response to a, I'm going to trust you, God. Would you just sing for just a minute here? Church, respond. Talk to the Lord. Tell him that you're going to trust him. Tell him you're going to step in faith. Tell him you're going to take a hold of what he has for your life. Tell him I'm tired of living in the wilderness. I'm going to keep stepping. I'm going to keep moving forward. Just tell him, church. You've been wandering too long. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take the enemy man for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy man for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. We trust you today. God, the church has made a decision to trust you. Your body, your people, your children have trusted you. And Father, I pray today that you would reward them, that you would see them through. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, thank you for the lesson. In your name, we pray, we thank you, we celebrate you. And we clap in our culture because that's the way we know how to show appreciation. But today, I'm going to ask you to not clap. I'm going to ask you not applaud. I'm going to ask you not to amen. I'm going to ask you to do what Jesus' brother James wrote and said to do and Jesus said to do. Now go and do the thing that you just said. Go and do what you just said. Go and do what I told you to do. Some of you literally just got a word. You can look at me if you're you're in a posture of prayer, but you're hearing the Lord. You need to just do what God just said, told you to do. Just go do it now. Go take the step. And I know your faith is being challenged, but go. Do the thing. Don't applaud it. Do it. Amen. Church, you received that today? Can we clap? No, I'm just joking. Don't do it. I tricked you. Don't do that. Go do, church. Go do what he said to do. Amen. Amen.